When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Their premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to $100,000 plus a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. The Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen, with Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was, at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC, which is amazing. Wes Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler Head. It's been a great week for South Carolina. On the recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler Head, Chris, Chris Clark along with you. I think Wes is still sitting outside of the studio right now. He, he said uh, he's mad at you and doesn't, oh, isn't going to join today. I see. No, well, he'll, he will be here. We uh, we said we were going to make you do the whole show today since you've been out since Thursday. Do I have to run the board? Too? Yeah, you got to do everything. So yeah, you got to come over here behind the glass and I, I heard, push all uh, the buttons and stuff. I heard. So Bill Gunner spun the wheel of uh, whatever they call it now. Agony, agony dis- misfortune, misfortune, whatever it may they, be. They've changed the name a few times. Whatever they're calling it nowadays, he had to he had to spin it, and apparently he has to run the board soon. Yes, which uh, will go. Preston actually did that a couple of weeks ago when he lost he something. It sounded like it was okay. Um, I because I get it here at like eight thirty, do my notes and stuff before the show, just go over everything last minute. And he had the door open, and I was like, Preston, just shout if you need me, buddy. And there was like a few, there was a period of dead air, but I think he did all right. Yeah, I would find would be a complete disaster. So I, I would imagine Bill, whenever he does that, it will go about like you would expect. Uh, like poor. like I said, you were last in here on Thursday. You were out in Dallas for the yeah. national championship in the Final Four. Uh, unfortunately, Friday night did not go so well for the Gamecocks. Uh, how'd you experience it from your perspective? Yeah, um, we actually didn't end up going. <coughs> excuse me to the championship game, but uh, went on Friday. Uh, great environment. Sold out crowd, I do believe, because they announced the attendance when we were there at 16,000 something. The the arena was completely and utterly packed. Three of the fan bases brought lots of fans. Um, 
Virginia Tech, you know, they had an a, a pretty good showing from what I saw, but Iowa uh, did not realize they would bring that many fans. Mm-hmm. They had tons. Uh, LSU brought ended up bringing a lot of fans. We saw a lot of them around Dallas, and obviously South Carolina had a really good contingent too. But yeah, obviously a disappointing loss. I know you guys have talked about that that game and rehashed it, but just kind of from my perspective being in there, a tough loss, a tough way to go down. I think, I'm going to be honest, even though LSU beat Iowa, (laughs) you kind of got the sense that South Carolina-Iowa could have slash should have been the national title. And that's a weird thing to say because they both lost. Right. Going into that game on Friday night, that's what I said last week was, regardless of what happens the rest of the weekend, and we were hoping and assuming that South Carolina was going to win the national championship game, the final four game is what everybody's going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. you know, South Carolina beat Caitlin Clark, or what ended up happening, Caitlin Clark <laughs> ends up beating South yeah. Carolina. Like, no disrespect to LSU, but I feel like that's going to get glossed over a lot in the years to come because of Caitlin Clark mania and the big matchup in the final four. Like, the LSU winning the national championship is going to eventually kind of be like the side note to everything. There, there were some things about the weekend that I think were a shame, and um, and I'm not even going in the direction of it being a shame that South Carolina lost because th- it is obviously right, especially sure. if you're a Gamecock fan because they were two games away from perfection, didn't capture a title, had this amazing season that um, unfortunately for them ended without a national title that was so highly anticipated slash expected. I think one of the, a big shame about it though was there's been so much conversation about the officiating in the women's game. Um, it was something that we talked about all all night. I mean, yeah. the entire game, the aftermath of the game, all weekend. Um, the officiating was horrendous. The the game deserved better than that. Um, you had no idea what a foul was, and, and that was and that's both sides. Yeah, I mean, really, on on both teams, there were calls that made no sense. Uh, you you barely you make a basketball play, and you know you're allowed to touch people in basketball. Sure, <laughs> and you know you, you you're just establishing post position, and now you get a foul called. You know, you get hacked. There's no foul. There's just no consistency, and this also reared its ugly head in the national title game. Yep, that game. It was almost like the refs went and huddled at halftime. You're like, you know what? This has been a really good half. Players are getting a lot of attention. Everybody's talking about it. We need to get some attention on us. Cause it, 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 it was like a, a switch flipped. Yeah. In the second half, the officiating just, I don't know what happened. It wasn't like it was great in the first half, but it wasn't as much of a storyline. Maybe yeah. there weren't as many interruptions in plays. Maybe it's all the threes that were flying in the first half. Sure. Yeah, and you hate that, and this ended up happening in Friday night's game, too, where Leah Boston got in foul trouble and had to kind of play more cautiously on her heels compared to how she usually does. And then in Sunday's game, Caitlin Clark in foul trouble relatively quickly to where it's like, okay, i got to be really, really careful or else I'm out of this game. And like you said, you just hate that, you know, not, not that that was the deciding factor in either one of those games by any means, but the fact that these two superstar players couldn't give 100% the entire time because they had to worry about maybe getting called for another ticky-tack foul. Well, and, and Caitlin Clark said it in her post-game. You, know, you guys have probably mentioned this, but she said, hey, you know, Aaliyah Boston, who she knows, who she played with before, um, I think on a 16U team, it's 
you know, hey, th- there were some of those fouls that maybe in a different game don't get called. Sure. And then she saw that herself <laughs> in the in the next game. Um, aside from the officiating, which took way too much of a of a front row seat in the title game, it was a great game. Yeah. I mean, super entertaining in the first half, especially until LSU eventually pulled away, largely because of all that foul trouble. That was a huge, you know, aspect, huge component of that game. I thought it was a lot more entertaining than the men's game. Now, have you been to other women's Final Fours before? Been to any of the other ones? This is the first one. Okay. And big difference between, like, uh, we were talking about this, the LSU-Miami game that Mm. was, what was that, the Elite Eight maybe in women's? Yes, that was a mess An absolute (laughs) clunker. That was one where Kim Mulkey, you know, gives her, I guess, halftime interview and it's like, you know, that... If anybody's watching that game, they probably turned it off, and and I did. It was really, really bad. To go from that to what we saw um, in the two Final Four games, I mean, the South Carolina-Iowa game had some really good stretches to it. I thought it was great. Um, But, you know, it's kind of a shame that a lot of the conversation, there have been three kind of main storylines, three or four. One of them is, you know, Caitlin Clark and Iowa going down. One of them is the viewership of the game. Yep. Right, which is a positive one. Um, but you also have the officiating, you know, being a huge storyline in that. And then you've got the whole Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, taunting, mocking, whatever thing. And I think some of those things have detracted from the fact that it was officiating aside. If you can put that aside, it was a, it was a really, really good game. Um, I even had some people tell me, you know, kind of looking at the ticket situation before we went out to Dallas. Mm-hmm kind of, hey, man, look how much these tickets are because they were going for... It's like 400, 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah that, and that's what the finals ended up being. The the semis, you you could get in the uppers for 250 each, something like that at sure. one point. And a few people told me, well, the, the tickets will probably come down. They typically do. They did not. They, yeah. they only went up, and a lot of that was because of those three, three of the four bringing tons and tons of fans. Again, just lots of fans there. Uh, Dallas was fun. Did a did a great job with it. Uh, so really good event, all in all. I'm disappointed you didn't come back with like a ten gallon hat, or at least one of those they hats had that Ken Mulkey had with the had the Final Four logo on the front of it. Is that was that the big red one? That was the big red one. Yeah, Charles Barkley had one on yesterday. Uh, they had those. Uh, we went down to the Turney Town event. That was outstanding. Uh huh. You go do uh do a little baseball, uh, pitch basketball, soccer, all that stuff. So it it was outstanding. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I enjoyed the women's title game aside from screaming at the officials. Right. I thought it was more entertaining than last night. Um, there are a few stretches, a few stretches in there. Like when San Diego State cut it to like sure. five. It looked like it was going to be interesting. Yeah. And then, I mean. It would always pull away. Yeah. You, I don't think there was any doubt that UConn was the better team going into last night. And it just, yeah, ended up being kind of, it was okay. I was like, ah, eh, it's on, you know. I don't think I would remember too much from it. As part of that, like, if that game was Kansas-Duke. I think there'd be Kansas, more. Kansas-Kentucky. I think there'd be more intrigue. E- even if it was the exact same game. Probably. We would be calling it a better game. Probably, because I feel like, and look, if you keep up with college basketball, San Diego State's not some flash in the pan. They're a good solid oh, yeah. team. Yeah, they have been for a while. But they're a team of a lot of players you don't know anything about. Yeah. Unless you just watch 
Mountain West basketball <laughs> on a night in night out basis, which most of us do not. You know, if it was a Kansas Duke or a Duke UNC or something like that, and it's like, okay, you're at least more familiar with these players and you have, a, I guess, more hope that they can come back and make it interesting. Um, that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense at the end of the day, but I feel like, and Candle and I were talking about the Blue Bloods of college basketball a little bit earlier, and, you know, I think UConn has qualified themselves for that now. San Diego State, certainly not one of those teams. So y'all did land on UConn as a Blue Blood? We we did. I mean, five national championships in the past 25 years, that's undefeated in national championship games, by the way, four of which in Texas, funny enough. Um, but I mean... Yes, they've done things more it's, recently, but I'd say they're one of the better teams of college basketball in the past two decades. Th- no, it's hard to argue. Th- the interesting thing is what is on the other side of those titles. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've already put this stat out there, Tyler, but Chris Vanini from The Athletic rolled this out today. Yes, they have the five national titles in the last 25 years. By any standard or metric, that gives you blue blood status. But it's interesting looking at the other side of that. So 20 of those seasons, they did not win a title, obviously. Sure. In that span, those 20 seasons, they missed the tournament outright nine years. Mm-hmm. So about half of those seasons. And they made just four sweet 16s in that span, too. But I feel like with UConn, and this is kind of a, a bit of a stretch here, with how great their women's basketball program is, I think people kind of lump the two programs together sometimes. Yeah. When you say UConn basketball, you just assume they're automatically good, which again, the men's program, very good, has a handful of national championships, not you know nearly as great as the women's team, which has been dominant over the past you know three plus decades. But I think the women's like legacy actually helps out the men's a little bit from like a national perspective. When people just say UConn basketball, that's what they think of. Yeah, you think it's a good basketball school. Exactly. Just, just both of them. Um, you know, whereas opposed to like, at, if you say South Carolina basketball, you're thinking of Dawn Staley. Exactly. You're thinking of those those girls with their team. Uh, there have been only a few little stretches and spots of South Carolina, 2017 making the Final Four and the McGuire years and right. Eddie Fogler. There's, there's been just little spots. Now, you were in Dallas for the Final Four on Friday, and it was in um, American Airlines Center where the yeah. Mavs play. National Championship game last night was in the NRG Stadium where the Texans play. Huge. And then they do this for the men's Final Four every single year. They take over a football stadium, Cowboys Stadium, Mercedes-Benz, whatever it may be. The smaller venue is way better for a college basketball championship environment than the huge football stadium, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. And I, and I have not watched a basketball game in a you know 60,000-seat dome or, or any 60,000-seat. I have not seen that. But there's no way. I mean, I saw, I looked up at the women's Final Four and saw where they had, I think the media, one of the spots is up at the top of the arena. I'm like, man, they are way up there. I saw somebody put on Twitter who covered the men's final. They are up in the top corner. Oh, yeah. You can barely, barely see, uh, no doubt. And, and that might be one reason why the men's tickets this year are actually cheaper. Part of it could have been yeah. that we didn't have... We had a blue blood in UConn, but you yes. didn't have, you know, right. you didn't have your traditional power or two traditional powers playing. Plus, you had a, a much bigger arena. There's a huge discrepancy in the ticket prices for those yeah, games. Yeah, it, it creates a little bit more of a stale environment, I feel like, outside of like a buzzer beater where San Diego State beat FAU where everybody goes crazy about that. Like the ebbs and flows of the games, you don't feel them as much in that big 
dome or arena setting as opposed to like a standard basketball arena. And that's what people talk about plenty. Um, it's a conversation here at South Carolina about the basketball arena. Um, a lot of people say Colonial Life Arena is too big. You need to you need to have a smaller, more intimate arena where you can pack people in. It's kind of more on top of you. That's a conversation here and a lot of other places. So right. I think certainly same thing applies to a championship environment. All right, Hilt, first time out. Come back on the other side. Talk a little bit of spring practice here in the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. <clears throat> it is Tuesday. That means another day for practice for the Gamecocks football team. Going to hear from Shane Beamer in just a little over an hour at 12.30. We'll be carrying his weekly press conference during the halftime show with Jay and Terry. But today was another day for the media to get out there and observe everything. Uh, anything in particular stand out to you guys? I thought you were going to say it was another day for a turkey bacon ranch. From Firehouse Subs. I actually had one of those on Saturday prior to watching uh, some basketball. Can you do that? Is it allowed to also eat it on Saturday? Uh, from what I understand, they didn't block me from doing it. I did, and I will tell you this. I did almost pull a Wes and accidentally take some chips by accident. because <laughs> I went ordering up, them? I went up to the counter and I placed my order for the sandwich. And in my mind, I thought I said combo. Apparently, I did not. And I went over there as they're making my sandwich. I grabbed my chips and I'm sitting there waiting. And something told me to look at my receipt. And I looked and he only charged me for the sandwich. I was like, well, I don't want to just take these chips without paying for them. And he was too busy. I wasn't going to go back and ask for a combo at that point anyway. So I put the chips back. I did not take them. So I didn't pull a Wes fully, but I almost did. Sounds like something somebody who uh, took the chips would say. (laughs) <laughs> I can assure you, I did not take any Cool Ranch Doritos from that Firehouse Subs. Very specific, too. I know. Yeah, I think you did it. You can get, though, a turkey bacon ranch. You can have it on Saturday if you want, but you can get it today on Tuesday as the sub of the day at seven ninety nine for a medium and five ninety nine for a small. You can get it at any of the participating Firehouse Subs locations in the Midlands. And guess what? They all participate. So you can get it at any of those Seven ninety nine for a medium, five ninety nine for a small. Firehousesubs.com. You can hit the rapid rescue to get it ordered. So you can just walk on in, get it, and be on your way. That's the Turkey Bacon Ranch, the sub of the day at Firehouse Subs. What's up, guys? Wes is here. Welcome. He's finally. been working I mean, on some I mean, things. He's the only one you, actually doing anything. Yeah, Tyler didn't welcome me in. <laughs> I don't know. I just started talking, but. I welcome, told y'all I was going to make Chris do the whole show today. Yeah, I told him about that. I almost in the first did. I've been told you should. Almost did. I deserve it. I was getting some work done, y'all. Go check out Gamecock Central. Yeah, I got I'm some sure whatever I posted has already been stolen and put on Twitter. But maybe you can read it Not first bitter. for about 45 seconds. Not bitter at all. So it's good anyway, scoop. What's did up? You, did you see anything out at practice today that caught your attention? Uh, well, DK was working with the twos, so still Juju at number one. Juju with the ones. You know, we did get, we got a little bit of non-depth chart, depth chart drill. Um, I, I thought this was cool. So they did some one-on-ones and then, or they did some 11-11, I should say. And then at the end of the 11-11 session, Beamer gets on the mic 
And he goes, one-on-one, goal line. I want Xavier Leggett versus O.D. Fortune, one-on-one. And so the entire team, you got offense on one side, defense on the other. The entire team is there just to watch you perform. And in some ways, I feel like being singled out, it's just like at a pro day. I feel like it would be more nerve-wracking at a pro day with nobody guarding you than it would be in some ways playing in front of 80,000 people because all eyes are on you. And I think that was the point of this was, hey, you are representing the offense out there and then you, OD, are representing the defense. And we're all looking at you and we're going to talk about you on the mic beforehand. So there are all these different ways that coaches can introduce a little extra pressure, a little extra competition. And I felt like this was just one of those ways. One-on-one rep, winner takes all before you move on to the next deal. So can you tell us who won? I yeah, can. give us give us details. Well, Leggett took home this battle. Beautiful fade pass, high up into the air from Spencer Rattler. I mean, that thing, I mean, we all know Spencer spins it. This thing was pretty. <laughs> and Leggett goes up. Look, I mean, I was far away, y'all. It looked like OD had good coverage, but Leggett just went up and skied over top of him, pulled it down, touchdown. No controversy on if he was inbounds or not. He was in. Offense goes wild. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure the offense probably let the defense, like, reminded them uh, nicely of what happened. Yes. That's something they seem to do a lot in practice, though. Like, these one-on-one, Shane Beamer does talk about it a lot, but it's not one of these coaching platitudes that you hear. You know, kind of like the special teams thing. Special teams are very important. We don't do anything with it, but like it's actually important at South Carolina. The competition aspect too, you know, I, I think they do. They seem to do a pretty good job of creating these team-based competitions and these one-on-one competitions in practice, the good on good, and then they tie your team to that individual performance, right? Because they're getting the entire team around. Um, did, did they make? Did the defense have to run or anything? I don't think this one was tied to half gassers. Normally, yeah, you see team, that a lot. It, you know, it's, it's like a half gasser run. It's it's just enough to be annoying. Like it's not like you know they're gonna tire them out completely. Yeah, but it's yeah. just like oh god, we got to run now in between um, sessions. But yeah, so I, I don't think this was tied to gassers. But like I said, the entire the entire team knew who was battling it out for this. Um, so pretty cool. Adds a little bit of extra competition. And, you know, I'm trying to think, for the most part, though, guys, it was kind of the guys that have been working with the ones throughout. A little interesting note. I think you had said this before, Chris. I don't know if we talked about it on air, but TJ Sanders getting some work outside, it looked like, as kind of like a defensive end, I guess, edge in this defense, you would call it. Um Isaiah Norris getting some work with the ones at cornerback. Uh, it, it appears that Marcellus Dow is one of the guys that is banged up. Beamer mentioned last week 
you know, in his press conference that there's some DBs who have been banged up. Pierce, he's probably one of those guys. Um, so, but for the most part, you had Stone Blanton, Debo Williams still at linebacker. Your two main guys at safety and Eamon Worry and uh, DQ Smith and uh, Kawan Banks working some at nickel. That's a spot, you know, no sign of Keenan Nelson Jr. during that drill either. Um, you know, I think maybe he was banged up last week, but Pup Howard back out there. I think he was with the twos and offensive line, Chris, pretty much what we have come to expect at this point as well for Sean Lee actually at center again and uh, Nick Gargiulo at left guard. So with Sanders, so we now kind of have an idea that we may see some four-man front. We saw last year in the Arkansas game before they had to go away from it because of injuries. We saw some five-man front. And it looks like we may see some more three-man front this year than we've seen. So what does that personnel group look like? You mentioned Sanders at end. Yeah, they uh, – so – and this, from what I could tell, now may, maybe they had Tyreek standing up. This mm-hmm. looked like a true four-man front, but with Sanders Just playing, oh, so it was a true four-man front. Yeah, playing one of the edge spots. But you had – three what you would call interior linemen based on their actual yeah. position, you know, roster-wise, bio-wise on the website. T.J. Sanders is an interior guy, but he was lined up outside. And in this case, you were getting three of your better players on the field. T.J. Sanders, Boogie Huntley, Nick Barrett, and then you had Tyreek Johnson as the other outside guy. And we would have to think when Tonka comes back, Oh, Tonka's on the field. We all know that. Um, at now, possibly wh- where at, at? Yeah, where at is yeah. the question. Um, and then Jordan Strong. Yeah, you know, this defense is going to look very different. Like if if you're looking at a depth chart, I, I think we've had to. I've tried to point this out quite a bit, but I, I think it's worth reiterating. If you are looking at a depth chart for South Carolina on the internet, or we're talking about it, you have to remember they are going to add back guys at every single level of this defense. So you're going to add Jordan Strong back to the edge spot. I know everybody earns a spot, but Jordan Strong is going to be starting for South Carolina. Lock it. You know, it's happening. Tonka Hemingway probably is their best overall defensive lineman who returns. He's going to be in there somewhere. Now you could make a conversation on, is it going to be outside? Is it going to be inside? Probably a good bit of both, I think, Chris. Mokaba. We'll be back in the mix, of course, at linebacker. You know, I, I think I think there will be some guys at linebacker that could potentially put up a fight, but you certainly would expect for Mo to kind of be the guy there. And then, um, Chris, you had David Spalding back, the forgotten man in the secondary. Could be a nickel. Could be maybe your third guy at safety, I think. I mean, I, I, obviously, Eamon Worry and DQ Smith are going to be on the field, but... Spalding gives you so much versatility that he's going to be in the mix, in the rotation, regardless. So, you know, I, I think this defense is going to look a good bit different than it looks right now. Tends to seem like offense, for the most part, has gotten the better of the defense this spring, but it's going to look much different. And don't be surprised if they continue to hit the transfer portal, continue to add guys on the defensive side once that spring window opens up. More on spring practice on the other side. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 
Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to have Shane Beamer's press conference coming up in just under an hour at 12.30. We'll carry that for you on halftime with Jay and Terry. This being the fourth press conference he's given this spring. We're expecting anything significant to be said or anything particular you want to hear from him today i just love how jay and terry get out of doing any actual work by putting the press conference on but no i mean we'll get a scrimmage update obviously yep. injury now, Kendall update. got to see the scrimmage on saturday she was well, a ladies day she admitted that she did wow okay did she give you all the scoop uh, she said it was on GamecockCentral.com. So you got to go to the website. Wow. To find okay, out. we have taught her well. Yeah, we're gonna get her to Google. actually have to post that though. I don't think <laughs> I don't think it's on there. But um, yeah, go check that out. Yeah, we'll get an update on that. I don't know I, injuries. Yeah, you know, injuries. I don't. I don't know if we'll get anything specific. I don't think there's anything like uh, big on the injury front. But just maybe you know it might be the. Typical, exactly what Wes said earlier. We have a few guys banged up, or we might get a little bit more detail on a few guys and some timelines. But no, I don't think we're really expecting anything too he, significant. He has done a good job. I feel like of I don't. I mean, were there this many head coach pressers last spring? Maybe there were. It seems like did he not do once a week last year? It seems like there's been more. I may be wrong. I, I think some of them last year were maybe on the day of the scrimmage. Yep, some Saturday. Uh, See, or maybe that was the year before. I don't know. When you get to a certain point, it all kind of runs together. But it does, it feels like there's been a few more head coach availabilities. Yeah, there's been plenty of opportunities. And, and that's something, I mean, I know we appreciate that um, for sure. Not only the head coach availabilities, but assistants, coordinators. Like, coming, that's always nice. Coming from covering Georgia where coordinators yeah. were not allowed to talk. I can't tell you what a big difference it makes being able to hear from them. Yeah. Will, Will Muschamp at Georgia clearly is not someone you can trust if you're Kirby Smart. He's he's never done press conferences before. Yeah, I don't, I don't He's been th- a head coach for like 10 years. I, I don't think he I don't think he minds not having press conferences though. You're probably right. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest perks of the job for him. And more press conferences. I don't have to talk to anybody until like the ball game. That's great. Until we make the national title game. It's fine. I always thought that was silly though. Like the fans want to hear from your play callers. For sure. Yes. Um I mean, you can trust your assistants to handle their room, to go out recruiting, to literally, I mean, the head coach is obviously important, but those 10 assistants, incredibly important to the success of your program. If you have bad assistants, you will have a bad football team. I don't care if you're the best coach in the world, but you can't trust them to go talk to the media for 10 minutes Twice a year, like I, that yeah. makes no sense to me. Now, if you're, I guess if you're Georgia, what you did worked. You've won two in a row, but for every other program, I think getting your team into the headlines, giving people content to work with, keeping your fan base in tune with. Oh, hey, this is this is what, for example, this is what Lonnie Teasley sounds like. This is how he communicates. This is the latest on, 
our O-line rotation. And some coaches are going to give more than others, but we had, Chris, we had several comments on the YouTube page after Teasley spoke last week, like, wow, he's a very impressive dude, or wow, I see why recruits connect with him. Mm -hmm. He's high energy, gives a lot of information, great communicator. So, to me, unless you're just the elite of the elite already, it makes sense to have your program. If you're proud of these guys, if you like your assistants, I would think you would want them to be out there and for fans, media, and recruits to be able to hear from them in any way that they can or the easiest way they can. So, yeah, kudos to Shane Beamer for letting his assistants go out there and talk. Well, and it worked. It did work at Georgia, but, you know, I, I don't think it working has anything to do with, like, if, if their coordinators spoke every day, which would be too much, please right. nobody do that. It, they would win. They have really good players. They have really good coaches. But I think one other thing, Wes, is like you hear about these, um, like our guy Avery Wilkes, who would go for, for Post and Courier, and he would go into these news deserts, these little towns, and he would expose all this corruption, right? And a large part of why they could do that is they were like completely unchecked. Well, I think of it not in that way, but kind of the opposite way. What you don't want to happen if you're a head coach is to have like an information desert because here's what happens. We've seen this. If, you're, if your coordinators can't go up there and talk about things in season or in the off season and people don't have a great idea of what's happening or they only have that one voice, the head coach telling them what's happening, they will make it up. And then, and then, and then that is what is happening. That is the narrative. And we've seen that many, many times, then as the head coach, you have to go up there and correct it, and you get upset at everybody, and then the fans get upset at you. If there's something going on, it's much better to be able to have the coordinator go up there and explain it. Now, that can cause problems, too. You sometimes have issues with that, but I always thought it was great. I mean, there are a lot of low points for the Gamecock offense, for example, and the Gamecock defense, you know, the past couple years. So we always remember those Marcus Satterfield press conferences. Well, I thought it was great to actually have him go up there and answer the questions, and I think he generally did a fair job, a good job of going up there and trying to at least explain things. People didn't always like the explanation, um, but there are a lot of situations where if something's going on with the team, struggles or, or successes, people will make it up if you don't have somebody up there explaining it. So I think it's, it's certainly a good thing. All right, we're into another timeout. Come back on the other side, wrap up today's edition of the GameCon Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. It's the GameCon Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen, with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head, on your home of the GameCon, 107.5 The Game. And welcome back in to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you. Uh, Chris, Wes and I talked about this yesterday, but you weren't here on Friday. Blake Franks commits to the Gamecocks three-star offensive tackle out of Greenville uh, for the 2024 class, and we were talking about this yesterday. One, it's big to get a in-state guy from right out of Clemson's backyard, but two, this class is really starting to come together and uh, looking really, really good for the Gamecocks in 2024. Yeah, this is a 
really, really interesting time in South Carolina recruiting land because you have a 2024 class that, last I checked, guys, was still in the top 10. Let me verify. Yes, number nine right now. So still a great class. Um, You've got five four-star prospects in the class. You have a three-star, which is Blake Franks. But Blake Franks is a guy that is highly touted. Obviously, you look at the body type, the position he plays. Um, you know, offensive line, almost always a more developmental position, but there's some tools there that you like. And this is just another statement recruiting win. You don't want to go recruit guys just to make statement recruiting wins. But when you can get a guy who's in-state, who you like, you want to add to your program, and you can beat your primary rival for him, that's something you take all day, and it's something that South Carolina fans should really be enjoying. Uh, I know we've we've kind of beat this to death, but you've now landed Cam Pringle, who Clemson also wanted, another in-state, highly touted offensive lineman. You've done the same for Franks, and in just about, I believe it's 10 days, Wes, you have a chance to do it again with Josiah Thompson from Dillon, and that sends a big message. Again, you, you have guys like that in your state, regardless of position, just happens to be a really strong offensive line class, you want to keep those guys in state. And that's what South Carolina did when they had their really, really strong run under Steve Spurrier. They recruited a lot of really good players from a lot of places, but they they didn't sign everybody, but they signed the majority of the big-time talent within the state of South Carolina. I, I think to go up into Greenville, too, yeah. I mean, Blake talked about it. This is, I mean, this is a situation where I think there's some pressure from people around you to um, to keep giving Clemson a chance, you know. And I, I think he he kind of knew South Carolina was home for him for a while, but kind of kept putting it off, hesitated a little bit to go ahead and, and announce the decision. Ultimately, he did. I got the impression that that was a, a kind of – difficult like I got to mature and um, be a man type thing for him you know to to turn down Clemson living in Greenville he talked about Clemson stuff being everywhere and I I think guys this was just South Carolina straight up out recruiting Clemson here as far as building a better relationship and creating the best comfort level for him I mean he was in a situation where Clemson was the leader Clemson was his Childhood favorite, grew up a Clemson fan. Lonnie Teasley, the full crew, though, you look at, obviously, you know, Sam Surbay, uh, Greg Atkins, still highly involved in the O-line, Taylor Edwards, Shane Beamer. You know, they they have a blueprint here to recruiting offensive linemen. And it involves team recruiting. It involves being freaking relentless (laughs) and hitting these guys up. And it involves them getting in incredibly early. And, you know, the thing is, we, we saw this actually with Eric Wolford. He would get his O-line recruiting knocked out so early for one class that it gives you so much time to go ahead and get a head start. And what you're already seeing, I had an article yesterday on Chauncey Gooden, number three offensive guard in the country for the 2025 class, he was on campus last week. We got to remember, these are still human beings. Like, there's still only so much time in the day. So, if you can go ahead and put yourself in a great position for one class 
you can use all that time, energy, effort into getting a head start on the next one. You're already seeing that take place with this 2025 class because they have put themselves in a position to get their top three targets on the O-line for 2024. Got to get yourself in good position as well, Wes, on the life insurance front. So if you're a parent, if you have a family, you want to do anything to protect your kids or to protect your loved ones, and that's why it's so important to protect them with life insurance from State Farm. You can get that with State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup right here in the Midlands. Her office is just off I-26 at St. Andrews in Ashland Park Plaza. That's 612 St. Andrews Road, and it's in Suite 4 in Ashland Park Plaza. State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup, she can help it help make it easy and affordable to help you protect your family no matter what the future holds. The people you do anything for, life insurance could mean everything for them. So call State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup in the Midlands today. She's a South Carolina native. She's a local agent. And she and her team can give you a personalized quote to meet your needs and help you save just like she helped my family. And she can do that through life insurance. You can also check in on home, auto, boat, renters, anything that you may need on the insurance front. Again, give her a call. State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup, 803-772-5554. Amy Mason Cup. Dot com. That's M-A-S-I-N-C-U-P-P, amymasoncup.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, was today the last practice y'all will get to view, or you'll get another one next week before the spring game? I think we actually get to view Thursday as okay. well. So that'll be good. Uh, by the way, that'll be Thursday, Friday. I know there's a day for everything now, but I think a lot of our listeners and viewers can relate to this one. Do y'all know Friday is National Beer Day? I do now. I actually did know that. Yeah, National Beer Day is Friday. Very fitting that they put that on a Friday or Saturday. I felt like that was a a given. A strategic move? Yes, had to. We will actually be at Still Hands Brewing on Friday, live from the brewery, uh, 9 to noon. So we're going to do one of those complete Gamecock Central three-hour takeovers and uh, we'll be on location out there. Looking forward to seeing Ashley, Scott, the full crew at Still Hands Brewing. Obviously, at Gamecock Central, we have maintained a great la- relationship with those guys for some time now, doing our kickoff party out there. So if you want to come out and join us for beer day, um, come say hello. Is there going to be another kickoff party this year? Possibly. That's very, very possible. Is that rumored? Yeah. There's a rumor. Cannot confirm or deny that at this point. But looking forward to being back out there and um, hanging out with those guys. Wes, you mentioned the transfer portal earlier. Do we have a couple more minutes, Tyler? Yeah, we're good. I want to we'll get, get some scoop from Wes. Not necessarily some scoop, but some names or some positions. So you have said several times, I think very accurately, that I think South Carolina may be a little bit more active in the portal then maybe we anticipated. Like, everybody came into spring, okay, running back and edge, you know you got to get somebody. Seems like they've been a little bit more active or a lot more active than maybe we thought coming into the spring based on some of the activity we've seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we knew edge and running back, and we reiterated it, and we talked about it quite a bit. We knew those positions were going to be heavily recruited in the portal by South Carolina, but I think it goes back, Chris, to what I was talking about earlier with this defensive depth chart if you can add a linebacker, if you can add, you know, go to the other side of the ball, we've seen them still sort of look at the O-line position if there's a guy who upgrades you. I, I think 
you're looking at certain spots and you're saying you got to take someone almost regardless. But then I think you look at some other spots and you say, hey, if we can upgrade, then let, let's go do it. And I, I think linebacker, that spot, but you do have Mo coming off of an injury. You have Stone Blanton stepping into a bigger role than he was in last year. You have Debo Williams, who, you know, I, I think is a guy who has proven to be a really solid reserve player for you so far, but he's working with the ones right now. And so what role does he have? How quickly does Pup Howard get ready? By the way, Pup was back out there practicing today as expected. He had missed some time with an injury. But I, I think that's a spot. If you can get a pure upgrade, then you go do it. Um, we saw them, Chris, uh, this past weekend bring out Tank Booker on an official visit. He's a defensive lineman, defensive tackle, interior guy. We've looked at that spot more from like edge being a priority. But, you know, I, I looked at Booker, 6'4, 320. The numbers don't jump off the page. But then you start looking at how he graded out. You start looking at the fact that he could be a true nose tackle, a zero or a one who could get in there and hold up against the run. Think about it from the prism or the context of the fact we know Carolina's got to get better at stopping the run. So if you could add a big-bodied, basically, gap stuffer in the middle, then I think that makes sense. So I think if you are a team in today's college football you were looking at this as far as free agency. What's a spot I need to upgrade? But then what's a spot I can upgrade? And then, again, defensive tackle in general, you don't circle that spot. But in terms of stopping the run, that is something that they certainly, I think, have to circle and have circled. And it makes sense to bring in a guy like Tank Booker. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up next. We'll have Beamer's Presser at 1230 right here on 107.5 The Game.